At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. for college and pro football. This is the Football Betting Guy with Jonathan Von Tobel. What up, folks? Welcome in. It is uh, the Football Betting Guy here on VCD Sports Betting Network. Good show on tap today. A lot of smart people are going to join us, of course. Amal Shah with us in 30 minutes. Uh, he's an Ohio State guy. So we're going to get his thoughts on Ohio State, their first opponent, Notre Dame, we'll talk about momentarily and what the Buckeyes have in store for them in the big picture in college football. And speaking of college football, we're going to do math today, but it's fun math, and it actually, I think, has unveiled a little bit of an edge in a prop that is recently posted. So we'll discuss that in the second hour. Charles, uh, Charles Arbuckle is going to be with us. Uh, one, we're going to talk about the Pac-12, and we could talk a little bit about UCLA and that conference, I guess. But being a former Colt tight end, uh, we'll just talk about the Colts. No, we'll talk about the Pac-12 with Charles. And then, of course, Tank Williams is going to join us at 4.15 p.m. Pacific time. And from Pro Football Focus, they do a lot of great work, and their stats and analysis numbers big uh, part of my football handicapping, Ben Brown will be with us at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. But we start with football that actually just kicked off into the second half. The lone preseason game of the day is still underway. Second half just got started. 14.54 left to go in the third quarter. The Raiders are up on top of the Minnesota Vikings 10-6 as it stands right now. Interesting in terms of a result because we saw quite the move here for the market. Uh, twofold, right? One, we knew that Kirk Cousins wasn't going to play. We also got the news, of course, uh, that or just the thought process, that Josh McDaniels and the Raiders just want to win some of these games. I guess that's not really news. So we saw this number peak as high as 5.5 in favor of the Raiders before it closed at 5. Total got bet up from 34 all the way to 39. This thing trending under, which would be a rarity. And that's where we dive into right now at this point because it has been a high-scoring preseason so far. How about this? From our own Dave Tooley, who tweets out everything about all the sports at the end of every single day. So we get a little example. Ed Dogs lead 8-6 and six straight up. They're 9-5 and five against the spread in week one of the preseason. One game, close pick, according to Tooley. Road teams 8-7 and seven straight up. I don't really think the road team thing really matters in the preseason. But how about that? Overs in this week one, because remember, Hall of Fame game doesn't count as week one. 12-3, and three, and if you include the neutral side Hall of Fame game, then we're talking about overs leading 13-3. to three, And, of course, 8-7 and seven straight up with one pick. That would be the Dogs. So this has been a high-scoring preseason up to this point. Now, this is going more along the lines of what we're thinking here, which is a low-scoring affair. Uh, but I would say that this is more than anything an aberration. I think it's probably just a little bit of a hot streak, but it's pretty interesting just given the fact that, one, general thought is about these games under the total. And two, from Matt Eubens, um, we talked about this on the edge earlier this week, and he had noted that in 2021, 15 of the first 17 games in the preseason, you include the Hall of Fame game, went under the total. So this flying right in the face of a trend 
that was really strong last year, that being first week unders. Well, this week, or this year, it's first week over. So we'll see if this continues here in this second half. Again, 16 points total between the Raiders and the Vikings. Raiders right now have a third down that they're not going to convert. So it looks like they'll be able to punt it away. But who knows? Preseason gets a little wacky. Maybe you want to work on your fourth down offense. So with that, let's dive into some news and notes. If you've been living under a rock somewhere, you don't know what happened the other day. But the New York Jets lost a pretty important piece. And we'll start with Zach Wilson, who it looks like is going to be out two to four weeks with a knee injury. I'm not really smart, and I don't talk to people in the New York Jets. So listen, listen to Tom Pelissero of NFL Network give us the down low in terms of what his injury is and the length of time that he could miss. Brett, the good news for Zach Wilson and the Jets are that his ligaments, including his ACL, are intact. However, he does have a bone bruise and a meniscus tear that's going to require arthroscopic surgery. The estimated timetable in the Jets' mind is two to four weeks. However, realistically, it's much more often that we're closer to four weeks on that timetable, which brings up the very real possibility it could end up being Joe Flacco, not Zach Wilson, starting against Flacco's old team, the Ravens, come September 11th. Everything we really needed. Joe Flacco starting a football game for us in the year of our Lord 2022. So it looks like Joe Flacco is going to get that nod for week one. If you read other reports in terms of just the length of the injury for other guys that have suffered this, Pelissero is right. It's more toward the four-week timeline than it is the two-week timeline. So it does look like Zach Wilson's not going to be available. But a very big, big missed of, not even, uh, I guess you just miss out on the skin of your teeth by some really bad luck there. The, the Jets get pretty lucky as he's not going to be out for a very, very long time. Now, some of the results of this, because there was moves in the market. Uh, the Jets' win total goes down to 5.5, shaded to the over at minus 175. Uh, the now Jets are catching 7 against the Baltimore Ravens. Remember, when this number first popped up all the way back in May, it opened up 4.5 in favor of Baltimore. So they're going to be a pretty sizable home dog. And remember now, too, because this is what is going on with the Jets, because the Jets can never have anything nice. Uh, these are now, it's not cluster injuries at the same position, but it's cluster injuries on the offensive side of the football. As Zach Wilson suffers an injury, two to four weeks, but Kai Becton, as we know, is out for the foreseeable future with this knee injury that he suffered. So this is quite the blow for a New York Jets team that I thought if you came into this year had quietly done like a sneaky good job of putting everything in front of Zach Wilson from an offensive standpoint and saying, look, man, you got the pieces. Now this year is about your development. But look at their skill position players. I mean, your top three wide receivers, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, along the offensive line, Lakin Tomlinson coming in, Connor McGovern, Elijah Vera Tucker, at least in terms of run blocking, turned out to be pretty good. Has to work on his pass blocking, but seems like he's got a pretty bright future as an offensive lineman. George Fant, they bring in Dwayne Brown as well as a nice contingency plan uh, for filling the shoes of Mekhi Becton. And at running back, Michael Carter and Brees Hall. Like around Zach Wilson coming into this year, there is a lot to like. So now it's all about Wilson and what he's going to be able to do as a quarterback for the New York Jets and what his development's going to look like. And I get it. Like there was a lot of, hey, you know, last few games of the regular season last year looks pretty good. Uh, but for me, when you dive into some of those numbers, they still don't really look great. And while he cut down on the turnover-worthy plays, there was no really dynamic play for Wilson. So what he was going to be this year, and we'll still see him, uh, albeit though a little bit later and a banged-up knee, it is a pretty fascinating situation for New York as they head into the regular season. So that's pretty big for the New York Jets. They are not going to miss an extended period of time for Zach Wilson, and he'll be back, it seems, very, very early on at the beginning of the regular season. So we move on to college football, and this is a pretty big story, I would say, because it's got ripple effects, right? Notre Dame, who we're going to see play Ohio State when the season kicks off in a little less than a month. Well, Two bits of news coming from Notre Dame. First off, they lose expected starting slot receiver Avery Davis for the season. Looks like Davis tore his ACL in practice the other day. For those who don't remember, Davis in 2021, 27 receptions, 386 yards, 
four touchdowns. I think it's a pretty big blow for a team that lost its leading receiver from a year ago and is breaking in a full-time starter at quarterback now because part of the press conference and announcing that Davis is going to be done for the year is that Tyler Buckner was named the starting quarterback for that game September 3rd at Ohio State. So this is pretty interesting for this Notre Dame team coming into a year. Total of 8.5 for the win total, shaded to the over at minus 150. You start off right away with a massive opponent. You're a 15.5-point underdog, which we'll talk about momentarily. And you're breaking in a new quarterback in Buckner who, well, he did appear in every game last season and had a pretty solid performance in helping lead a comeback against Virginia Tech. Didn't finish it off, but was a big part of it. And you're looking at a Notre Dame team with overall 15 guys coming back, and you're thinking, hey, man, as the kids say, ceiling is the roof for Notre Dame potentially. But I'm really, when you look at it from a standpoint of returning personnel, you really like what you see with Notre Dame because the offensive line should be really good. Remember that down the stretch last year, Notre Dame, 224 yards per game on the ground, 6.3 yards per carry. Those the last eight games of the season. Running game was absolutely fantastic. You're going to help break in. Buckner, that's really going to help you as well when you have a young quarterback who's taking over for the first time to have a stout offensive line in front and one that you would assume is going to get better. That really helps out quite a bit. And Tommy Reese returns as offensive coordinator, third year with the program. So that's going to help quite a bit. As the Raiders have scored a touchdown here, it looks like they're going to make it 16-6, to six, no flags on the field. So scoring continues in the preseason. But with Notre Dame, and I'm really intrigued by them because if you like them from a defensive standpoint, which I really do, if you look at everything they bring back this year, specifically on the defensive line, Isaiah Foskey is a really good defensive end. They have a really good linebacker and core Jack Kaiser in there. There's a lot to like about the future of what Notre Dame is going to be this year. But for me, as somebody who kind of struggles when it comes to projecting what a quarterback, a new quarterback, is going to be in a college system, I wonder what to make of them, especially when you start to evaluate them from a schedule standpoint because, we mentioned, Ohio State, you're a 15.5-point underdog. You have a neutral site game against BYU here in Las Vegas, which, according to some folks, you talk to people around town, the Notre Dame contingent has snatched up a lot of those tickets, so we'll see if this is going to be a faux home court or home field advantage uh, for Notre Dame, but still a tough game nonetheless against the BYU team that also brings back about 15 or 16 guys this year. And the rest of the schedule as well for them. You have matchups against Clemson. You have to go to USC. So when you're talking about betting this team over 8.5 and and expecting them at that price tag of minus 150, which is an implied probability of 60%, I I do have a little hesitation at that number by my own analysis with this team. Because when you're talking about Ohio State, BYU, Clemson, and USC, you don't have much room for error with those teams, right? You've got to at least upset one of those. And Taking on BYU on a neutral is probably the most winnable game for this team. And it's not for certain that you're going to sweep the rest of the board. When we're talking about Marshall, Cal, Stanford, UNLV, uh, watch out for the Rebels, right? I've been at camp. They they look pretty good. No, Uh, like that's what I'm talking about here. When you're laying this kind of a price in terms of eight and a half for a team like Notre Dame, it just seems pretty high. So when you're looking at it from that standpoint, now your leading slot receiver is not going to be there. You're breaking in the new quarterback. There are things to like about this program. And to be honest, too, the Davis injury doesn't change anything. I came into this before the Davis injury thinking minus 150 is pretty high for this Notre Dame team, and even now more so as you kind of look forward to this team. So, it, look, this is a team that also, should they run the board or get one loss? I mean, this is they're staring at a playoff berth in the face if they can continue to have success, and the schedule sets up relatively nicely. But when you're talking about potential playoff contenders in Ohio State and Clemson on this board, maybe even USC throw that in there, it's hard to really look at this and lay a price like eight and a half when you don't have that much room for error if you're the Notre Dame fighting Irish. So with that, really excited to watch them. And that BYU game out here is going to be absolutely fantastic. Uh, if it is true and it's a little bit of a Notre Dame crowd, 
Should be a lot of fun when they're playing over at Allegiant. All right, on the other side, so we have a lot to get to in the show. Like I said, at the top of the hour, we're going to talk a little bit about college football championship odds, uh, but in a different sense. And we're going to do some math, but it'll be pretty cool the way we break it down because uh, if I'm doing this right, and I checked my work, uh, there's a pretty big edge on a certain prop that's out there to be had. So that's definitely going to be worth playing. On the other side, though, you know, I was, it's always good to get information from other people. I was listening to a podcast, tell you which one is on the other side, and I got, I got sparked with an idea like, hey, you know what? If we're looking at a guy like Trey Lance, who's taking over as starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, maybe there's something to attack here in terms of a season-long prop for him. Because if you look at some of the numbers from last year when he was out there on the field, there's a little bit of a trend here to look at. That's when we come back here on the Football Betting Guide. It's VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. the football betting guy with Jonathan Bontobel. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vcin.com to check the current betting splits data. Want to know where the money and bets are moving every game? Betting splits page updated every 10 minutes so you can see the changes in all the action. Find out where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. Check out not just today's action, but future events as well. Betting splits are another way. Vcin's here to make you a smarter, better year-round Check out today's betting splits for every game at vcin.com. Do you guys remember last year when Mike Zimmer was asked near the end of the season if he wanted to get a look at Kellen Mond at quarterback? And uh, I think it was the finale against the Chicago Bears. They didn't have anything to play for. It's either last year or two years ago. Yeah, it was last year. Um, And his response was, not particularly, I see him every day. Uh, I kind of understand that sentiment as watching Kellen Mond in this game has not been great. Uh, before, a couple of completed passes for Mond, two of seven uh, for less than 30 yards, but a couple of conversions here, and Mond has them moving a little bit. Now he's three of eight for 46 yards, so we'll see if that's going to be the case. Also had an interception. I won't call it dropped, but it was definitely a turnover-worthy type of play. So uh, they are moving, though, and again, the trend of overs, something we're watching here through the first 16 games of the preseason, 13-3 and three to the over, the first 16 games are, and uh, right now the Vikings are in the red zone down by 10. It's 16-6. to six. A reminder that this total closed at 39 in some spots. So got a lot of ways to go in this preseason matchup between the Raiders and the Vikings. So with that, we move on to a little bit of some big picture stuff when it comes to the National Football League. So uh, one of the podcasts that I really enjoy uh, is the PFF podcast of Steve Palazzolo and uh, Sam Monson. 
and they're going through their division previews. And one of the points that they brought up when talking about the NFC West, and I believe it was Palazzolo who brought it up, was the potential of Trey Lance as a runner. And in a scheme like this for the San Francisco 49ers, that potential could be pretty great for Trey Lance uh, when you look at it from a season-long standpoint, right? And so it got me thinking. I was like, well, let's look around and see what we're looking at from a number standpoint. Well, DraftKings, Trey Lance, to in terms of his season-long rushing prop, not to lead the league in rushing, uh, his season-long rushing prop, 500 and a half. So it would be rushing yards for the season. Shaded to the under, so if you're looking at the over, it's plus 115 for Trey Lance. And it kind of piqued my interest here. So you look around, and you can kind of dive into some of the numbers for him last year, and there's not a lot to sift through, but there's something. So, for example, 86 snaps for Trey Lance last season. He ran 18 designed rushing plays, scrambled an additional 12 times. So that's 30 rushing attempts and 86 snaps on the field for Trey Lance. About 34.8% of his snaps ended in a rushing attempt. That's a relatively high rate in terms of rushing plays for Trey Lance. And it kind of gets you thinking a little bit more here that when you're thinking about a full season as a starting quarterback with an offensive mind like Kyle Shanahan, who does such a brilliant job in taking advantage of the pieces that are given to him for his offense, you'd think he'd probably want to take advantage of Lance's athleticism over the course of the season. You saw it in terms of some of the numbers and the packages and the games that he started last year for the San Francisco 49ers. And it's also an offense. We know about it, right? Misdirection, rollouts, all these things. Shanahan's such a pretty good offensive mind that when you look at a total of 500 and a half for Trey Lance, I'm really intrigued at looking at Lance as a runner this year on top of being a passer. And he didn't run anything. I think he had one scramble in the preseason game. There's no designed runs for him. I would assume you save some of that stuff uh, once you get to the regular season. But Lance is a really good athlete. And you wonder if this is going to be part of his repertoire as repertoire as a quarterback in the National Football League as he kind of moves forward into the regular season as Shanahan wants to use every single bit of his toolbox, kind of getting him comfortable in the NFL. And so you look at it at 500 and a half, over plus 115, looking at Trey Lance to go over that number, I think is very much something worth betting on when you're looking at it from that standpoint. Now, of course, we know about health, all that, but that should be such a big part of his weapon. And we saw that it was a good chunk of what he did in a very small sample size last year that I'm wondering if that's going to be something viable that he's going to use as we head into the regular season. And it kind of got me thinking about some other players. And by the way, I want to update. We do have a score here in this Vikings game. Uh, touchdown Minnesota. So 16 to 13. We got 29 total points. The Vikings, who closes about five-point underdogs, get within three with 624 left to go. So we got a high-scoring third quarter at this point right now. We got 13 points in the third. And those two that I think Lombardi calls them the middle, the middle quarters, right? Second quarter, third quarter, uh, 26 points in the two quarters up to this point right now. So a high-scoring affair so far out here in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. So those up there, I don't even want to know. Uh, in-game wagering on the NFL preseason, not something I've do, I've not really, uh, not really uh, getting hot and heavy with just yet. So with that, one more thing with rushing yards. It actually involves that team that's underway right now, the Las Vegas Raiders, because – what has also intrigued me is Josh Jacobs. And being out here and working in local media as well, you get to hear a lot of stuff, and it's going to be pretty interesting when it comes to what Josh Jacobs is in terms of his role for Josh McDaniels. And when you look at the number, 750 and a half, because that's his rushing yards for this season, you think initially, that should be pretty easy to overpass. Last year, he ran for 872. If you include the postseason, well over 900. Uh, that's a pretty low total for a guy who surpassed that easily and probably candidate to go over yet again. But for me, when you look at this overall, Kenyon Drake, Brandon Bolden, better options, I think, as receivers out of the backfield. And in McDaniel's offense, 
which, as we know, I mean, think back to these Patriots offenses, right? What's the one thing that's really frustrating about a Patriots offense? If you can figure out what the rotation is going to be at running back, then you, you got Bill, uh, Biff's almanac or something like that because it's impossible to figure out what that rotation is going to be like at running back. You would assume some of those traits carry over here. So maybe you see a little bit more of a share in terms of the workload in the backfield for the Las Vegas Raiders. And in 2021, you look at it too, 274 snaps on rushing plays, 204 snaps on passing plays. He's declined a little bit as a runner. If you look at from yards after contact, 2019, Josh Jacobs, 3.48 yards per carry after contact. Last year, 2.84. So he's getting a little less effective when it comes to running after contact. And the biggest question for this team is, of course, offensive line and how poor this potentially could be in terms of pass blocking, but also run blocking, which we kind of forget about sometimes. From PFF standards, for example, Colton Miller, run blocking grade of 77.9. Nobody else on this roster graded higher by PFF standards and run blocking than a 63.5. It's not freaking good at all. You only have one guy who is an above average run blocker along this offensive line. So when all of these things are put together, Pretty deep backfield in terms of guys who are kind of on equal level with one another. Two of them who are better options out of the backfield, something that should probably be a bigger part of this offense as we move into 2022. A guy who has statistically declined in an area that was actually pretty important for him, which is yards after contact, that the rumors having to get pushed back on, by the way, the fact that maybe he's on the trading block. I think all that put together leads you to look at under 750 and a half rushing yards for Josh Jacobs because I don't think this is going to be a year in which he's going to be able to surpass that number with all of those things put together. And then finally, receiving yards. And I, I saw this note the other day, and I got it to a certain extent. For those who missed it, one of the more popular bets out there that's being reported in the offseason, uh, Alan Lazard. He's gone from 200 to 1 to lead the league in receiving yards to 75 to 1 at one shop. And to give you an idea of what he might have to do here, Leading receiver last year was Cooper Cup, 1,947 yards, so nearly 2,000 yards receiving. Uh, Justin Jefferson, second, 1,616. And if he's contending for leading receiver, Alan Lazard's going to have to double what he has done up to this point in his career. I mean, look at it from this standpoint. Alan Lazard, career high, 609 yards receiving. That was in 2020. He's never really graded out as a great receiver either. If you look at PFF's numbers, no higher than a 69.7 in terms of his receiving grade. That was the 2020 season. And just because Devontae Adams is gone, it doesn't necessarily translate to Lazard being the guy to pick up the slack, right? And being a beneficiary of a higher volume. For example, Romeo Dubs has reportedly in camp been killing it. And Aaron Rodgers reportedly likes the guy. And if you look at, again, and it was Jordan Love playing quarterback the other day. But in the first preseason games, what does Dobbs do? He gets targeted seven times. He only pulls down four of them and did have a drop charge to him. So that's something in terms of play that's going to be a little troublesome from that standpoint. But if you're looking at it from Lazard's standpoint, I can kind of, like I see the path where people would go where you're looking at 200 to 1 to lead the league in receiving yards and you're grabbing it at 201, 75 to 1. There's no shot. But I can kind of understand the path that you're going down. But if you're going down that path, I would think that at 750 and a half in terms of receiving yards, it's also a pretty intriguing look for Lazard, who has never gone more than 609 receiving yards any single season. But Lazard's pretty interesting because I think when you look at Green Bay overall, the other aspect that kind of shifts my thinking here, and it's not that I think they're going to become the Tennessee Titans, but their offensive line's a real strength. Their running back room is a real strength, and A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. And how Aaron Jones might actually be lining up out wide and stealing some receptions from some of these guys. I think that there's something to look at where Green Bay... You see a, dare we say, like a slight shift in terms of their offensive philosophy, 
when it comes to the way they come out there. I mean, look at their defense, too. Their defense is going to be a real strength at all three levels. They have, they have really good playmakers defensively. So you start to see this maybe identity shift to more of, and again, you don't want to go as extreme as the Tennessee Titans, but just upping the rushing percentage ever so slightly and relying on your defense a little bit more ever so slightly and turning to guys like young guys, like Romeo Dubs or Christian Watkins, who, by the way, was activated off the pup list for them. And maybe that doesn't necessarily translate to Alan Lazard leading the league in receiving yards or going over receiving yards prop. It was just worth pointing out because, again, it's been a pretty popular future wager. You see the path at 200 to 1, but uh, at this point right now, I'm not really sure what it's going to look like for Alan Lazard. All right, really quickly 16 13, 332 left to go in the third quarter. Raiders look like they're moving the ball. They're just across midfield. So uh, this is picking up in terms of scoring here these last two quarters and ball movement. So we'll see if this is going to be the case in the Raiders can get something out of this drive. On the other side, let's talk to Amal Shaw. Ohio State gets Notre Dame at the beginning part of the season, and they're a massive favorite of the Big Ten. We'll discuss that and more with them all on the other side. This is the Football Betting Guy with Jonathan Von Tobel. Fifteen minutes left to go in the fourth. Raiders got a second and fourth. The Minnesota nine. Uh, so let's go. We got the fourth quarter getting underway. High scoring affairs across the National Football League in the preseason, and it looks like we might have another one on our hands as the Raiders are knocking on the door, and we are ten points away from at least a push in some spots. Total closed thirty nine in this matchup between Las Vegas and Minnesota. With this, uh, with that, let's head out to the phone line. Amal Shaw, host of odds on here on the network, is nice enough to give us some time talk a little college football. Amal, good to talk to you, buddy. So. Uh, let's start right away. Uh, I'm going to tie it into your guys, the Buckeyes, uh, but we, we opened up the show talking about some of the news of the week, and that would be Notre Dame expected to lose starting slot receiver Avery Davis for the season. Sounds like it's a torn ACL for Davis. They also named a starting quarterback. I don't think it's particularly surprising that Tyler Buckner is the guy who gets the job for Notre Dame. But the loss of Davis, because I was talking about this, for me at least when it comes to college football, mall. I always have trouble projecting what a new starting quarterback is going to do. Now, he was there last year. It's the same offensive coordinator. He's a little bit more athletic than Jack Cohn, so maybe there's some upside there. Uh, but what Buckner's going to be, and specifically, now that his leading receiver is not there, we know he's not going to be there, and Davis is gone, it's going to be pretty interesting what this offense looks like from a passing standpoint. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I'm not completely sold on Buckner or Drew Pine, uh, who I think will probably end up transferring potentially here. something to pay attention to, but... Uh, look, you got Lorenzo Styles who played a little bit at the end of last year for this uh, Notre Dame team. We'll see how effective he is. Uh, Lindsey's back as well for Notre Dame, so he'll have to rely on him, the senior, on the ex- exterior there. But it's going to be interesting how they make up for this. Losing Davis is big, especially when you open the season with a little bit of uncertainty under center. Uh, you know, you got a good talent back defensively, but you got to go to Columbus against Ohio State, so it remains to be seen what ha- uh, see what happens. And when you look at the schedule for these guys, I think it comes down to three games. Obviously, at Ohio State, I believe they're going to lose that game. The Clemson game, which I think they could win, but I still believe Clemson will win that game. And then the game at SC, which I think is a complete toss-up when we get to the end of the regular season, JVT. I don't see it having a profound impact in terms of against most of the teams that Notre Dame plays, but in the three bigger games, I think that could be something to keep an eye out for. I mean, I threw out there them all because you talked about it, and I hit on those. How about the neutral side game against BYU as well? I mean, I think that's a, that's a BYU team that brings back the most experience by some measures in the country. On a neutral site, that's a coin flip spot potentially that's going to be pretty tough for them. No, you, JVT, you're absolutely right. I actually forgot about that game being played here in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, that is going to be a tough one. Kalani Sataki's team is always ready to go. And the other challenge for them in that one is 
keep in mind, BYU, yeah, Provo's about six hours from uh, Las Vegas. The Cougs travel extremely well. That will not be an easy game at all for Notre Dame. And I think even if they get blown out in Columbus, they've got to win the game at North Carolina, which they should be able to do uh, that they play. I think think because they have a bye before they play uh, BYU. So they have an opportunity there. Mm -hmm. But you're, you're absolutely right. That's a crucial game on the schedule. I completely overlooked all right, so Ohio State, let's talk about your Buckeyes here. Uh, and I think this is kind of kind of spin off in, into a larger point, and it seems to be the point on the season of all coming into this year, right? We always want to talk about futures and who's going to win the whole thing. Uh, Ohio State is part of an upper echelon that there seems to be a pretty large gap between them and the rest. And I would think that is Alabama, Ohio State, maybe a little bit further down is Georgia, and then there's everybody else. Would you agree with that sentiment with your Buckeyes reigning near the top with Alabama? I, Jonathan, I feel like the race is this way. Ohio State and Alabama are at one and two, and there's so much separation between them that Georgia at three is closer to number 10 than they are to one and two. And with that being said, Georgia's probably going to have an 11 and one, 12 and a regular season, but I think there's six or seven teams that can play Georgia's schedule this year and go undefeated. Uh, when you look at the talent that's there on Alabama's defense, Ohio State's offense, Ohio State's leading scoring team in the country last year has a lot of the key components back. And I understand everyone say, well, you lose a lot of Ann Wilson. They got dudes at wide receivers. You've got, you know, Julian Fleming goes, even had an impact yet. Number one recruit in the nation a couple of years ago, not at receiver, but overall recruit. I mean, he's going to have an opportunity to have an impact. You've got a Mecca book of the top receiver recruit uh, two years ago. So they've got some talent. We saw what Marvin Harrison Jr. was able to do in the Rose Bowl. Haven't even mentioned Stroud or Travion Henderson, along with Mayan Williams. You got two tackles that are potential uh, top 90 picks. So, They should be in great shape. Alabama, the question for me is the offensive line. Uh, J.C. Latham's probably going to kick out to the left side. This team's going to be really good if the line gets in shape. Jameer Gibbs transfers in at tailback. Alabama's loaded. I know JoJo Earl's out about eight weeks with a fracture in his foot. But, you know, this team will be just fine. Even a wide receiver just needs somebody to get open. Remember, they've got a couple of terrific transfers. Jermaine Burton from the national champion Georgia Bulldogs. You take Georgia's best offensive weapon that didn't go pro – and now you transfer him over to Alabama, along with Harrell, who, Tyler Harrell, who transfers in from Louisville, the slot receiver. So the Crimson Tide are going to be just fine. I think it's a two-horse race all year long for me, JVT, between Bama and George, excuse me, Bama and Ohio State. And then I think everybody else is pretty far behind those two teams. And from a defensive standpoint, because the thing that sticks out from last year, right, is 35-28 Oregon. Uh, goes Ohio State, gets that win, 200 and I think, was it like 70 yards rushing on 38 attempts. Oregon ran the ball down their throat in that game. How much better are they defensively? Is this a big improvement for them? Because I would think that's the one thing that if anybody's looking at this team for, is that improvement happening to keep an Oregon loss from happening this year, it would be how much better is this defense going to be? Yeah, Jim Knowles takes over. He was the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. Had tremendous success with generating a pass, pass rush and playing the run. That was the big problem for Ohio State, their inability to stop the run. We saw it against Utah. We saw it against Oregon, uh, Michigan as well. So that was the one area. But I think this team should be better in that particular uh, spot. Uh, If their defense is just decent, they don't have to be great. They don't have to be like their 2019 defense that lost to uh, Clemson in the college football playoff. I think this team is in great shape. Uh, And if they can just be effective with this offense, it's going to be really, really hard to slow things down. And I don't know what the offense, excuse me, the defense is going to project to be completely, but let's see when they take the field against Notre Dame September 3rd. We'll get some idea. And I just don't think there's enough offenses in the Big Ten to challenge them to really get a true test of how good or bad Ohio State's defense is. 
All right, so let's uh, spin this forward into big picture. Chris Andrews over at the South Point uh, puts up a four-way prop in terms of a national championship in college football. So four ways to bet this, and they're in groups. Alabama, Notre Dame, Utah, and Texas are the favorites at plus 150. Ohio State, Clemson, Oregon, Texas A&M are the second choice at 2-1. to one. Georgia, USC, Oklahoma, Michigan are the third choice at plus 250, or the field at 18-1. to one. We're going to expand on this in the second hour, Maul, uh, but to ruin a little bit of it, I believe that the Ohio State group uh, should be the favorite and is very much worth betting, but what do you make of it? Yeah, I, I can make the argument either way because I think Clemson is a team that's going to make the college football playoff. I believe Clemson is going to have an undefeated regular season. I just don't think the schedule is challenging enough, and I actually don't believe DJ Uyunglele will be the quarterback midway through the season. I think Cade Klubnik takes over there, but you mentioned it with Ohio State and Clemson there. Those are two viable teams. You know, we're not talking about Clemson because Venables left. Tony Elliott goes to Virginia, the offensive coordinator. A lot of question marks surrounding them, but this is a loaded, loaded front seven for Clemson. Murphy, Brian Brzee back uh, from the knee injury. I think this team's going to be really tough to beat. I, I like them a lot, and I would agree with you. When you've got two options there, it makes them a lot more dangerous. Uh, I still feel like it's going to be a two-horse race the rest of the, uh, for most of the year, but, but it, you bring up a good point. Uh, for me, it'd be simply to take that bracket because you have two options as opposed to one. And then on the flip side, I, I would actually take both of them because you're going to make a profit if either of them wins, Al- the Alabama group or the Clemson group. And I think Utah's a great dark horse to make the playoff. I know the JVT, their season win total is only at nine. I think this team is far more dangerous than people realize. Had they beaten Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, I believe the perception coming into the season is a little bit different than it is. I think this team's going to be a tough, tough out. Yeah, we're going to talk to Charles Arbuckle about the Pac-12, but I find that pretty interesting because if anybody out there, Maul, wonders what does brand or what does brand a recognizable uh, you know brand do for you in terms of betting? Well, it increases the liability for some shops because it's going to be a popular bet. I say that because I think Utah, if you evaluate them, are the better team. But in most shops, they are the second choice to win the Pac-12 behind USC because they have the sexy name in Lincoln Riley, the logo that everybody recognizes, and everybody wants to go and bet USC because they won the transfer portal. You bring up an excellent point, and I think when you look at it, Oklahoma will be happy they wound up with Venables instead of Lincoln Riley long-term. USC will do fine offensively. The Lincoln teams never played defense. I believe Utah is the better team in the Pac-12. I still can't believe they're about two and a half to one to win that league. USC's got to go to Rice Eccles. And look, I get, I get Caleb Williams' performance against Texas, but let's not overlook the fact that this is a team that struggled against Kansas. You bring in Mario Williams, you add in Jordan Addison, that's fine. That's all great. Travis Dye comes in from Oregon. Here's the problem that still remains for UFC, the offensive and defensive line. Until those things are shored up, I'm not ready to jump on the bandwagon for the Trojans, but they do have a pretty decent schedule that they're going to be able to navigate. All right, last 60 seconds. Any future win total-wise, anything like that that you got in the pocket you want to share? Yeah, I've got a bunch of Oklahoma over nine. I think Sooners are going to have a good 10-2, and 11-1 type of season in Big 12 play. I like Venables a lot. Uh, that, that's one I would pay attention to. If it's nine and a half, I wouldn't take it. I took Ohio State over 11, and then I took Alabama earlier at 125, still at minus 140, and I would still take it to win the SEC. Look, Georgia can play them in a rematch. The dogs aren't beating them this year. Amal, good to talk to you, man. Thank you very much for the time. Thanks so much. Amal Shaw and Amal Shaw won, which I'm sure he totally runs the account all on his own. All right. Uh, we do have a scoring update. Uh, this thing is uh, flying high, man. The Raiders have punched it into the end zone uh, yet again. Score right now, 23-13, 11-42 left to go in the fourth quarter. Still under the total, but just barely. So we'll keep track of that as we head into the final minutes 
of the fourth. All right. On the other side, though, Charles Arbuckle will join us, host Series SM College, ESPN analyst. Talk a little Pac-12 football. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is the Football Betting Guy with Jonathan Von Tobel. College Football Guide's out now, and the NFL Guide is coming in just a couple weeks. Start your football season on the right foot with expert profiles of every team, including team trends, power ratings, and over-under recommendations for those win totals, plus best bets on season win totals, division finishes, and player awards. Remember, only way to get access to this year's Football Betting Guide is to become an all-access subscriber here at VSIN. Sign up early. Discounted $175. will receive the college and pro football betting guides along with full VSIN access all the way through the Super Bowl. Or join us for 40 bucks a month to see everything VSIN has to up your betting game. Go to VSIN.com slash subscribe for all your options and become part of the sports betting network. At the uh, Mountain West in the College Football Guide, and I'm working on the AFC North and uh, the AFC East in the National Football League Betting Guide. Uh, with that, let's talk a little Pac-12 football. Charles Arbuckle is nice enough to give us some time. UCLA, of course, and Colts tight end. So, Charles, it's good to talk to you. And uh, we were just joking off the air. We're going to talk actual football. Uh, we don't have to talk about the nonsense in terms of UCLA and USC leaving for the Big Ten and revenue shares and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we want to talk about what's going on the field. And so let's start with UCLA because uh, I find them a pretty interesting team. If you look at it from a returning production standpoint, there's not a lot back, but you get the most important piece, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Vegas kid, by the way, who's going to be back under center and a really manageable schedule for them as well. Uh, what do you make of your Bruins as we head into the year? they got a win total of 8.5, and, and I think there's some workable pieces there that they can get to that 8-9 win mark. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, you can talk about DTR because I think he's going to really have a, a, another next-level step. You, I agree with you. Losing Dorchick and Phillips doesn't help. But I think they have some other weapons. They've got a transfer from Duke that came in at the receiver position. Zach Charbonnet is going to be, you know, he's going to do what he does. If he can get 1,300, 1,200 yards, tough, hard yards, I think that really helps them. They're going to miss Brown because I think that was a good one-two punch combination. But I really think all of those things said on the offensive side, I'm really paying attention to the defense. You know, they got one of my former teammates, Ken Norton Jr., on that staff, and McGovern, the defensive coordinator, has a lot of guys that have been D.C.s as well. When you watch this team last year, it was live and die by blitz. Even the game that I came to, I was out there for the LSU game, played well, but they just 
defensively, there were some times you, you watch UCLA last year during the season where they were just exposed. And I think now they're going to play better uh, coverage. Uh, they'll have some, some wrinkles to those coverages, and I think they'll play better. And that, that's the part I'm looking for. If the defense can play well, they should be 4-0, I think, going into that Washington game, which is at home. They have a lot of home games as well. Yep. And so if, if they can get some things going, uh, you know, and beat Washington, go be 5-0 and when they face Utah, that's probably the best they've set in quite a while. And I think that's what there's some expectation that they'll have. They, they don't need to trip up early in the year and, you know, struggle against a team early in the season, especially the teams that they have on the schedule. But I do think they should be 4-0 or, or, you know, buying for a real nice slot going into playing uh, Utah. Yeah, five of the first six games for UCLA at home, as Charles mentioned, uh, and an intriguing stretch where you get Washington and Utah, both back-to-back home games, and then you go on the road to Oregon, and then you get to a little bit more of the manageable schedule. We have the Arizona School, Stanford, so we'll see if UCLA can take advantage. Uh, what have you made of Chip Kelly's job up to this point? Because every year, at least from a betting standpoint, it seems that there is a lot of hype on UCLA coming into a season. Hey, look out, good returning production a couple of years back. Hey, look out, real improvement here. And it feels like every single year you, you leave like wanting a little bit more out of the Bruins. What have you made of uh, Chip Kelly's job up to this point? Exactly what you said. I want to see more. I, I think you know winning eight games last year was good. That's a start. They need to be better than that. They need to be a 9-10 win uh, kind of team. And they have the weapons and the people to do that. And the schedule sets up for them like that. So I really do think they have to take that next step. This is the year to do it when you have a quarterback that's had a lot of experience and got some other super seniors and they got some transfers in that should help minimize some of the, the guys that they lost. All right, let's talk about their rival then, USC. Uh, they win in the transfer portal. They bring in the big name in Lincoln Riley. It seems on offense they got everything that you would need, right? A good quarterback and a potential Heisman contender in Caleb Williams, good wide receiver Jordan Addison, a lot of pieces in the backfield. But I got questions, Charles, about the offensive line and a defense that is being taped together with a lot of transfers itself. Are, are the Trojans the best team in the Pac-12 in your mind? They have the potential to be really good. I think Utah's the best team in the Pac-12. I mean, I just I got to give it to Utah because of the things that they can do. I think USC looks the best on paper, and I agree with you. You know, when you have a USC team that is afraid to run the football, that worried me. And I'm a I'm a Bruin, and even for the Trojans, I expect you to come and punch me in the mouth. And when you're not doing it. And you said it best. Their offensive line is not what you expect out of the USC offensive lines, whether you look at Anthony Munoz. Or you, I mean, you can just name names, Tony Baselli. You can just pro football Hall of Famers, but guys that also play well at the next level. They didn't have that. And I think that's the one thing that Lincoln Riley is going to do. It's an air raid system, but they want to run the football. And I think that's where Caleb Williams coming in, Jordan Addison is going to give them 90-plus catches just walking off the street. But can they run the football effectively? And then the other thing is, what's been the, 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 the other side of the ball. USC has always had great defensive linemen. They haven't been very good on the defensive front either. And I think those are the two areas. If I look at USC early on, I want to see if they can do that right away, even with Lincoln Riley. Because just because he transfers in, you still have a lot of guys that are holdovers from that last regime. Are they going to be man enough to physically push people around like you expect USC to do? They play Rice early should win that. Then Stanford, who is probably going to be better than they are, is another physical team, and it gives you a test early in the year if you're USC to see if you're back to really having a chance to make a run because Fresno State is not going to be easy. Oregon State is a lot better. Their, their first 
four games are tough besides the Rice game. And, I, and, and people say Oregon State. Well, yeah, Oregon State was much improved late in the year. So I'm interested to see those two road games, how USC is faring, and how Caleb Williams and all those transfers are going to mesh early on. You know, in the September 17th spot against Fresno State, Charles, I keep saying, better look out because Fresno State last year, they went to Oregon and they were tight the entire time with the Ducks. They upended UCLA, who was then number 13 after they beat LSU. It's a battle-tested squad with a good quarterback. And if you're talking about struggling on defense, that's the type of team sandwiched between two conference road games that could bite you. Man, those dudes, I I still hate Fresno State. Every time (laughs) I see any of those guys, we played them my sophomore year, I think. My shoulder still hurts. We beat them 17 to nothing, but Jim Sweeney and then Pat Hill, it doesn't matter who's coaching there. They all have that same tough mentality. And I saw Pat Hill a few few years ago calling a game, and he was doing radio for Fresno State. And I said, man, how do you guys get these? He said, Buck, they come here, and I don't care what star they are, we, we, we toughen those guys up. And he said, we're tough as leather. And I said, yeah, y'all sure are, because everybody plays y'all come out on the other side. Wishing they had, and they also have now uh, Terry Toomey, one of my former teammates. So I just love what they do there at Fresno State. And I'm interested to see with the, the, the conference realignments, will they get a spot somewhere? Maybe not, but I, I tell you what, you better be ready to play them when you play them uh, uh, if you're USC on September 17th. So, so tough's a good word because when I say tough and when I think of the Pac-12, I think of Utah, and you kind of alluded to it here. I'm amazed that everybody that I talk to who evaluates college football at a really high level says that almost the same thing. Oh, yeah, Utah's the best team in the conference. And yet, from a betting market standpoint, Charles, the betting market says, is USC the most likely team to win the Pac-12? It's USC with the higher win total. I don't really understand this. This Utah team, and they open up on the road against Florida. It's really tough. And San Diego State's always a pain in the ass. But this Utah team is really, really good. I'm really surprised about the lack of respect it's getting in the betting market. And I think it's just because of the way they are. I mean, being back east, I have to tell people all the time, if you want to talk about you know, being soft, Pac-12, blah, blah, blah. But if you want to see a team that you turn on the tape every single time and they're going to punch you every time, no matter what the score is, and think about this. We're, and, and it's interesting you say that because Ohio State, which is everybody's expecting to be the Big Ten darling, they struggled with the Utah team that was playing a guy that shouldn't have been playing on the defensive side. Now, they had a great game, and, and I'm not going to say that um, Ohio State didn't uh, take advantage of the situation. I thought Utah played very well, and that was a, it could have been a coming-out party had they won that game for Cam Rising, who I think we're going to see a lot of good things from him if he can stay healthy. And I think the thing with them is you know you're going to get a healthy dose of run, ball, run game, and then they're going to beat you up on defense and get after you. And I mean, every single year, when you watch them on the defensive side, they fly around the football, 41 sacks last year, and that was a problem they had the year before. They were really bad from a sack perspective, but they're generally 35, 40 sacks in that range. And when they do that, that makes it tough on your team. And, I, and that's why I think this Utah team is going to be really good this year. And I give them an outside chance, and maybe even if they can win some of those tough games, a chance to be in contention for the college football playoff. Charles, we are up against it, but it was great talking to you, sir. Thank you for some time and some insight today. All right, man. You have a good one. Take care. You too. Charles Arbuckle again, Series 6M ESPN analyst. All right, quick update. Uh, well, these high scores, they continue. I'm not good at math, but I think, what do we got, 26 to 13? I think that's 39, so we're right on the total, the closing number at least in some spots. So we got a push so far in this game, and uh, look at that, Minnesota in the red zone with 436 left to go 
in the fourth. Kellen Mond looking to drive him down and get some points here. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. And also, maybe it's just a one-year thing, but look out for Josh McDaniels. Looks like he wants to win some preseason games. Second hour of the Football Betting Guide coming up next. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 